of all churches in America will unfortunately not look like this or experience this today. Roughly 7% of all churches in America are legitimately interracial or cross-cultural. And so there's a great joy that we can come together here in the South where historically um, we have been divided. But today we stand on on the shoulders of men and women, black and white, who laid down their lives that we can experience this kind of joy and blessedness that comes from community in Christ. And so our vision as a church is to experience, explain, and even expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. From the beginning, God always wanted us to be together. He told Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless every family on the face of the earth. Through Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ, the son of God, all people would be able to sit down together at his table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the north, the south, the east, and the west. So glad we don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience some of the blessedness of diversity. Now, if you're new to Strong Tower, if you've been coming for a while, um, you know that uh, we celebrate different styles of music. This month being Black History Month, our worship pastor wanted us to remember many of the songs that a good portion of us grew up with. And uh, all I could say outside of praising God while we were worshiping is thank God for these songs. These are some powerful songs that were written in the midst of suffering and great turmoil. And the anointing of the spirit was upon our ancestors to give us these songs. We thank God for what John Newton gave us, the former slave trader, about God's amazing grace. Usually these songwriters, these songs would come out of some kind of turning point experience. And they would write something that would not only soothe their soul, but would bless the masses. And who would have ever thought that out of the slave church, out of the slave narrative, these kinds of songs would come. And we thank God for these songs. My, my, my. I thought the brothers was going to stay there because they just kept coming up with song after song after song. Praise God for that. Now, coming up uh, on the 25th of this month, we're going to have a time where we eat together. It's great to meet together and we should. We should meet together and we should worship, but we should also eat together and fellowship. And so uh, this month, the 25th, we're calling it GDK, which stands for God's Diverse Kingdom, comes from Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. We are one, even though we're not the same. We come together. So this first uh, table fellowship, we're going to eat together, but also talk together. There will be a panel that will discuss black and white perspectives on a host of questions. And then there will be times in your groups, your table fellowship, where you'll talk through a few things as well. So we're going to have a good time. We're going to leave out better than how we came in, better understanding 
um, how to be witnesses in the world in which we live to understand my brother, my sister a little bit better. So black and white perspectives this month. We want you to come. Go to the app. Strong Tower Bible Church has an app. Um, Go to our website. It'll point you to the app. And that way you can sign up to bring something. Bring some food. Uh, Bring something that you make or something that you pick up. But we'll put it on the table and then we'll all go in and experience it. And then next month, I believe, is uh, interracial perspectives or uh, international perspectives. Excuse me. So we're asking some of our people from various parts of the world to come and share what they see as far as relationships, interpersonal relationships, because we want to learn. And then uh, in April, January, February, March, April, there'll be a Passover Seder that we'll do. But then we'll also uh, have a time for interracial perspectives. Those of you who are in interracial marriages, who have adopted children outside of your ethnic group, we want to hear about your calling, some of your challenges, some of your greatest joys. So we'll submit questions. We'll do all of that. And then uh, the last month in May, we're going to hear from our Latino and Native American brothers and sisters just to understand one another's perspectives. So that's Strong Tower. We experience this. We explain it. And we expand it by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. So come join us if you can on that night. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn over to Titus chapter 2? Titus chapter 2. And we, excuse me, Titus chapter 1, excuse me. Titus chapter 1. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence as we sang, your presence is here. And we thank you, Lord, that in your presence there can be a time of rest where we can be solemn and quiet and still and be covered by your presence, giving us peace and hope and courage. But then there are times when we are in your presence, Lord, and we overcome with joy and we jump, we leap, we dance, we shout, we exclaim. (laughs) We thank you for your goodness and for your power, your awesome displays. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. The presence of the Lord is here. You are everywhere all the time, yet we're asking for you to manifest your presence in a special way. Thank you, Lord, for what happens in this house is different from what goes on in any other house. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. We pray that you would bless the preaching of the word at this hour. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Titus chapter 1. Our theme for this book, we just started last week, is from good to bad. The book of Titus From good, excuse me, from bad to good. Somebody should have said, wait a minute, Pastor, hold on. From bad to good. Now, this word good is found 11 times in the book of Titus. So when you see good repeated, that tells you something is going on there. And the people on the island of Crete where Titus found himself, where Paul left him there, to raise up leaders for the church, they were a bad group of people. As we'll see probably in two weeks, we'll we'll give you a thumbnail of who they are or who they were. They were evil people. They were lazy people. One of their own poets said that they were gluttonous, barbarous people. 
And so we're going to talk about how in this environment, God turned bad people into good people. And we don't have to be barbarians or mercenaries or pirates to know that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we need his grace to make us good. And so that island was transformed by the truth of the gospel. Bad people became good. So in chapter one, there's a focus on raising up good leaders. In chapter two, there's an emphasis on having good teaching. In chapter three, the emphasis is on good works. Good, good, good. Eleven times in this small little three chapter book. And so last week, I introduced you to Titus himself, the recipient of this letter. We just had a brief thumbnail. We went through various scriptures where this man is mentioned so that we can ascertain and get a better understanding of what this book is about by looking at the recipient himself. So last week we called him a Navy SEAL. We said SEALs were a special operations group created by President Kennedy in 1962 out of the Naval Academy, out of the Naval Force. To go in, they were specially trained, special operations to go into any climate, any environment, any place with special assignments, usually to go and take down terrorist targets. They would get in and they would get out. And we liken this man who was on the battlefield for the Lord. He was on the mission field. And he was a man who would be given various assignments from the Apostle Paul, and he would fulfill them as if he were a Navy SEAL. We saw last week that he was a spiritual son and brother of Paul, that he was a Gentile who was secure in the gospel, that he was a trustworthy man, full of integrity, that Titus was a minister who handled all of these assignments. And then finally, we close by saying that he was not so much a super soldier, but a good soldier who made himself available to the Lord. Because the best ability is still availability to make ourselves available and God will do the rest. And so last week we met Titus. Next week, we're going to meet God. And we're only in the first three verses of Titus. And then the week after meeting God, we'll meet the people on the island of Crete. But today we have to meet the writer of the letter and his name is Paul. So let's meet Paul. Some of us are very familiar with him. Others of us are going to get acquainted with him in a way that maybe we never have before. But he is a slave, according to Titus chapter 1, verse 1, and Titus chapter 1, verse 3. He is a slave, he is an apostle, and he is a preacher. So let's meet this man today. Because Paul was effective for God... Because he never stopped asking this question. So check this question out. And this is why he remained effective for God. And I believe we should never stop asking this question. And it's found when he was converted in Acts chapter 9 verse 6. The Bible says about Paul. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the question. That's the question that acknowledges the lordship of Jesus. Lord, master, what do you want me to do? And I'm here to say that when we stop asking that question, when we assume we know what to do or we're doing our own thing, that's when we get into some trouble. 
So we need to ask that question, which this man of God asked on a regular basis. Lord, what is it that you want? Where are you leading me? How can I best glorify you? So when Paul got saved, he lost the right to control his life. The minute he got saved on that road going into Damascus, when he met Jesus Christ and saw him for himself, And he fell down and Jesus revealed himself. He said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then Paul called Jesus Lord or master. He put his faith in Jesus right there in that moment. And in that moment when he called him Lord, he was saying, you are my master and I no longer lead my life. You lead my life. And that's the truth, or at least it ought to be that way for us. That once we acknowledge that he bought us with his blood, he bought us with a precious price, a significant price. We don't own ourselves. He owned us. And so now the issue is every day when we pick up our death instrument called the cross, it's about how do I honor him? Lord, what do you want? Not what I want, not my will, but your will be done because I have a tendency to jump out and do what I want to do. But thank God for the Holy Spirit who speaks to me. And tells me, hey, back it up. Bring it back. Submit. Lord, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do about my finances? What do you want me to do about my work situation? What do you want me to do about school? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the great thing in Acts chapter 9 is that when he asked that question, the Lord spoke to him. And a lot of times we're going through life nebulously we're trying to figure things out because we're not asking God what he wants and then we don't stick around long enough to listen to him speak and the best way that he speaks is through his written word and so Paul yeah he couldn't control his life anymore he knew the Lord was his master so no wonder he opens Titus chapter 1 verse 1 by describing himself as saying Paul a bond servant of God. So the first thing I want you to see today about Paul as we meet him is that he was a slave. He was a slave. Paul, a bond servant of God. A few weeks ago, we talked about that word bond servant. It's a Greek word, doulos. There are many Greek words in their language that speak of servanthood. But this particular word, doulos, is translated bond servant in the English because it speaks of a slave that has a bond with his or her master. So this person isn't serving out of drudgery. They're not serving because they have to, but a doulos or a bond slave is serving because they want to. They're not serving out of fear for fear of the lash fear of the whip or fear of consequences. They are serving out of love and devotion. They're not serving because they are afraid of affliction. They are serving because they love the affection that they have with their master. And so Paul says that he is a slave of God, a bond servant of God. And when he met the Lord Jesus, He lost the ability to run his own life. He became a slave. And the slave's only will is to do the will of the master. And you may say, man, that's just too much, man. That's just too much. Well, when you consider what he saved us from, 
he deserves our loyalty. He deserves everything that we have. And with this kind of master, when you lose your life for his sake, when you give your life, you end up finding your life and finding more fulfillment in life than if you tried to save your life and do your own thing, you're going to lose it. So Jesus, the call to follow him is a call to die, to lose yourself. Paul recognized that he was a slave. Jesus was a slave. The same word was used of him in Philippians 2, 7. So this month is we talk about the black history experience. Many of our ancestors were able to zero in on Christ in a way that maybe even the slave master could not. Because they recognized that Jesus was a slave and he was treated as such. So they found great confidence in their savior who said that we can or he can identify with the feelings of our infirmities. So that's why those worship services ignited with passion and power. Because there was a real feeling that the Lord understood. So when we said he'll make a way somehow. Our ancestors knew that the Lord made a way for Jesus, who, although he suffered and he went down after suffering on the cross and they put him in the tomb, he got up from that grave. So we knew that trouble won't last always as a people. Now, if you are saved, you are a slave. If you are saved, you are a slave. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 22, Paul said, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Does the Lord have the right to be your master? Is it a privilege to be his slave, his servant? See, I like saying the word slave because sometimes bond servant or servant kind of takes the edge off of do loss that I am a slave who loves my master. So let me ask a question. Let me ask a question. If you're saved, that means the Lord has set you free. That means that you have acknowledged that only Jesus could deliver you from the penalty of your sin by dying on the cross in your place and getting up from the grave. And you are born all over again. You've received him. And now you are a son or a daughter of God. You're saved. If I got any saved people, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Any saved people, just raise your hand. Keep the hand up so I can see it. Any saved people, any saved people, you know Jesus as your savior. Keep that hand up. Keep it up. Now, I just said that if you're saved, you're also a slave. If you are a slave, you acknowledge, you accept the fact that you're his slave. You are not your own. You are his own. You've been bought with the price. You are his slave. Let me see you raise the other hand while you keep the right hand up. I'm a saved slave. And look at the posture. Dependence, worship, honor. You may put your hands down. You're a slave. Your life is not your own. My life is not my own. We've been bought with a price. Paul understood that. So when he opened up his letter, he didn't first talk about what we're about to go into point number two, and that is his apostleship. But before we get into his apostleship, he let people know I'm a slave. I'm a servant. I serve God. So thus I serve you. I'm not better than you. I'm humbling myself as a great apostle with so many wonderful experiences. I first and foremost see myself as his slave and as your servant. If we had a revolution or even a revival of servanthood in the body of Christ, can you imagine what could happen? Where we didn't run around being concerned with what people call us. 
But man, we're just here to serve. We're slaves, his slave. So not only was he a slave, this brother was an apostle. Titus 1.1 says, not only was he a slave of God, he was also an apostle of Jesus Christ. Mm. Well, what was an apostle? The, the word means sent one. One who has been sent forth. And so when Jesus chose the apostles, you have the office of apostle first. Let, let's talk about that. When Jesus chose the twelve The Bible says he commissioned them or made them apostles. So he takes out of the disciples 12, 12 men, and he commissions them, authorizes them to be apostles. And so now they're emissaries for the Lord. And they are a select group. And the way that the world would know that they were a select group was based on their proximity and their power their proximity because they were close to jesus they were the 12 around him they had been specifically called and commissioned by him so so the, the proximity they were with him but also he gave them power to do things that he didn't give everybody else power to do so they would go out and they would heal and they would cast out demons and even raise the dead So later on, when Paul was talking to the church at Corinth, he would talk about what it meant to be a true apostle. And a true apostle was someone who was able to do various signs and wonders because God had given that person the authority to do so. So they were apostles by their proximity and their power. And so when it came time to replace Judas, one of the 12, remember now they, they had this official team of 12 that Jesus put together. And the way he designed it, he designed it so they could go two by two because God knows we all need community. We all need somebody to lean on when we're weak or when we're tired and vice versa. And so with this group of 12, once Judas hung himself, they said, we've got to get our team back together again. So we've got to get another person. And so when it came time to select another apostle to take Judas's place in Acts chapter one, It says that they chose someone. First, you had to meet the criteria. There was a criteria to make this official group. You had to have been present with the Lord from his baptism all the way to his ascension. Otherwise, you didn't even qualify. So it came down to two guys. They rolled the holy dice and it fell on Matthias and they added him to the 12. Now, a little bit later, Paul is going to be added as a baker's dozen. Baker's dozen, I'm told, you know, when a baker bakes, there's 12 cookies, then they make a 13th one. I guess they're going to nibble on or whatever. Paul was added, as he said in 1 Corinthians 15, he was added abnormally. In other words, he wasn't with those guys from the baptism to the ascension. The Lord personally grafted Paul in, and Paul did meet the criteria of having seen the resurrected Christ And so he was added in as one of the foundational apostles who the Bible says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles in Ephesians 2. So that's this is very, very important stuff. And so Paul was an apostle. He was added to that office. But then there is the work of an apostle. Pastor, why do you say that? Because there were other people mentioned in the Bible who were not designated as one of the original 12 or Paul with the 13th selection. 
There were other people like Barnabas, who was called an apostle. Andronicus and Junius were called apostles. So there were other apostles who did the work of the apostolic ministry of being sent forth. And so when they would go out, they would evangelize unbelievers, establish churches, educate saints, and they would also experience great suffering. So they're cutting a path for the church in those early days. And God had authorized these apostles to go. Yes, there was the 12 in the office, but then there were others who did the work of an apostle. And I mentioned those to you. But there were also people in Corinth who made themselves apostles. And Paul called them false apostles. So there would be people who would run around and they would see other people doing stuff and they would say, that's what I want to be. I want that name. I want that title. I want that designation. And Paul would let them know that Satan has his workmen who are masquerading as ministers of light, but technically they are ministers of Satan, ministers of darkness. And so Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, he had to prove his apostleship to them. So there was not only the office, the work of being an apostle, but also, the, and, and Paul would even say to them now, how many of y'all got beat the way that I got beat taking his word? Y'all just want the title. But y'all haven't been out here doing this stuff we've been doing out here now, traveling and getting on boats, shipwrecked. So he had to give his whole resume to let them know that being an apostle is so much more than putting hands on folks and they fall out. <laughs> oh, man. There's some work involved in this. But then there's the gift of apostle. I believe there are people who have the gift of apostleship. And what is that? I believe it shows up in our missionaries who are able to go places that most of us would not want to go to. But they find great joy in going and not only going, but staying there. Now, when you have this gift, you will go places, but you may not stay there long. You go there, get things established. You do evangelism. You may translate languages and things like that. Make sure people have food, clothing, medical care, shelter. And then you move on to another place. That's an apostle. An apostle is not a dude meeting in a storefront with eight members. Oh, amen. Now. Some of y'all missed that. I see that. <laughs> you got eight people and you calling yourself an apostle. The gift of apostleship shows up as a church planter. Um, I know pastors who can plant a church. They get it going. Then they move to the next place. So with their pastoring gift, many times they have a, an apostle gift. Where, man, they go from place to place. And then there are people, as I mentioned, who translate. That's how this gift shows up today. One of our missionaries, if not all of our missionaries, but one of them in particular, Larry Warren, who serves in Nairobi, Kenya, I believe he has the gift of apostleship. My goodness. I love going places with Larry. Matter of fact, I may be heading back to Nairobi later this year. He does a great work for the Lord there. So people always ask, man, Pastor Chris, are there any apostles today? You know, that's a sticky question sometimes. Are there apostles? Well, let me answer the question with a question. That is, can anyone today meet the biblical qualifications of being a pastor, uh, being an apostle? Are there people who can meet the qualifications of having seen the Lord? And uh, I'll just let that be the answer. But again, I know people, I see it in a lot of publications, apostle this, apostle that, uh, psalmist this. One dude even tried to name himself Messiah. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on, slow your roll, homie. Everybody want these titles. Whatever happened to just being a servant? So finally, not only was this brother there with meaning a slave, but man, he was an apostle and thank God for his work. 
that he could write scripture. And we have upwards of 13 books in our Bible penned by this man and preserved by God. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for his work. But finally, this cat was a preacher. Titus chapter one, verses two through three. It says, in hope of eternal life, he writes Titus, which God who cannot lie promised before time began but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our savior. So Paul is saying I was commanded to preach. He gave me this gift. He gave me this calling to preach. A preacher is someone who proclaims the truth of God. That is a preacher. Now, every Christian has a responsibility to preach, but not every Christian is called or commanded to preach. And some of us who are called and commanded to preach, we make our living at it. And so all of us are to preach the gospel to every creature, but some of us are called to preach. So, Pastor, how do I know if I'm called to preach It's kind of like falling in love. I can't really give you an outline on whether or not you're in love. If you're in love, you just know you're in love. Uh, Valentine's Day. Did y'all do all right yesterday? I hope y'all did all right. I did all right yesterday. (laughs) And if you're called to preach, you just know. I accepted my command to preach in 1987. Before that, I was running from the Lord. I wasn't trying to hear it because he was putting it in my spirit as a young man. You're going to preach. You're going to preach. I was like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. You're going to preach. You're going to preach. No, I'm not. And so I surrendered to the call in New York City. I was doing some outreach ministry, ministering um, people on the street in the midst of that because God loves to steer a moving Christian. You know, sometimes we just like to sit still and then tell me what I'm supposed to do. No, get up and act on the known will of God and what God wants to reveal to you will be manifested. So be obedient. Do what you're supposed to do. And I'll show you stuff, great and mighty things that you don't even know. So in the midst of ministering, he said, yes. And I stopped running and I said, "Okay, Lord, I surrender. I accept my call to preach. I had a man tell me I was at the altar weeping. And he said, look, go home. I was in New York City. He said, go home, fast, and pray about this. I had never fasted before. He said, fast. Fast about whether or not you're to be a preacher. And if after three days, this desire that you feel now is still in you, I believe God's called you to preach. Well, I went home, and I feebly did what he told me to do. I turned my plate over. Uh, Man, it's tough putting that Captain Crunch down. But I fasted. And since that first day on July 4th to this day, July or February 15th, that insatiable burn fire desire to preach the word of God has never, ever left me. It's a calling. Matter of fact, it's a command. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. So I have a responsibility to help develop and deploy other preachers. And I look around, I see there are preachers in this church And I want to spend um, the latter part of my ministry helping mold and develop preachers. Because today we need people to stand up and preach. Like Paul, like Paul, like Paul. Matter of fact, matter of fact, if there's a brother or a sister in here, you feel, you know you've been called to preach. 
you're wondering, like, man, I feel a stirring. You either know or, or, or you're wondering. Would you stand right now? You know you're called to preach the word of God. Would you stand? You know you're called to preach. Keep standing. Keep standing. Keep standing. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I just want to say to you with my few remaining minutes, like Paul, you got to preach. You got to preach. You got to preach when people want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it. You got to preach when they like you. You got to preach when they hate you. You got to preach when they are awake. You got to preach when they're asleep. You got to preach in season. You got to preach out of season. You got to preach because some preachers want the pulpit. Well, okay, if you can't get this pulpit, there are a lot of prisons that need some preaching. There's some street corners that need some preaching. There's some relatives that need some preaching. So, so just don't go for the pulpit. Man, preach wherever you are. Preach as you're going. Preach in the city. Preach in the field. Preach, preach, preach. And the way you preach may not be the way Bishop Jakes preaches. And that's all right. You minister according to the ability that God has given you. Don't spend your time imitating others. Learn from others. But you preach about Jesus crucified, buried, resurrected, ascending, and coming again. You preach the whole counsel of the word of God. And don't worry about whether you learn Greek or Hebrew. Learn the book and learn the author of the book and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach about heaven. Preach about hell. Preach the truth. Don't tickle folk ears. Don't succumb to all of the modern day cultural traditions and things that are sucking believers down holes and it's drawing a line of demarcation between those who are in the faith and those who are out of the faith because there are doctrines going around today being taught by demons that's deceiving even the very elect so we need some people who will stand up and make it clear after you finish preaching we shouldn't have to wonder what you said we ought to know it ought to be a clear sound because who can prepare for battle if the trumpet is not clear preach 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 This man was a preacher. My son had a doll when he was growing up. Well, he would probably say action figure. He wouldn't want to say doll. But man, this was when Buzz Lightyear and Woody and all them cats were rolling. He was into that whole thing. What was that thing called? Toy Story. Even the adults know that movie. Toy Story, Pastor. We got him both Buzz Lightyear and Woody the Cowboy. Now, I like Woody because Woody had a string in his back. And when you pulled the string, he would talk. And he would say, there's a snake in my boot. And then you let it go, and then you pull it again. He'd say something else. But I always remember, he always said there's a snake in his boot, you know? (laughs) I went a long way for this illustration, so I hope you hear it. When you're a preacher, it's as if God will pull your string 
And that's when you talk. It's like a dog that, that when you pull the chain, it only barks when the master pulls the chain. It barks so it's quiet based on the pull. And so when God pulls my chain, I'm going to preach whether people want to hear it or don't want to hear it. If you don't want to hear about Jesus, don't invite me. Now, I'm going to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, but I'm coming in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to proclaim who he is whenever to whomever. So when he pulls my chain, I say, oh, there's a snake called the devil and he's up under my boot ah! I'm going to preach I'm going to preach I'm going to preach I'm going to preach in the morning preach in the evening preach till the sun go down preach ah thank you Paul so today we met this man who was a slave who was an apostle and who was a preacher he's just letting us know who he is but if we had to meet you today what would you say about yourself Hopefully you will begin by saying, I am a slave. Let's get that off. I'm a slave. It's not about the the, the Lord serving me. It's about me serving him. God didn't put me here for the world to revolve around me. He put me here to let me know the world revolves around him. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm a slave. But then what are the other two aspects? I know there are many things about us, but man, if you had to nail it down, what are you? Some of us are artists. Some of us are designers. Some of us are teachers, lawyers, and doctors. Some of us are ministers and singers. We're a number of things. We're athletes. But whatever we are, may it be to the glory of God. That doesn't mean you have to say Jesus all the time. But we're preaching with our lifestyle. And when necessary, we open up our mouths and we proclaim him. And so what are you? What are you? Well, if you were to meet me today, and there's some people here who are meeting me today, you learn a little bit about me. Number one, I am a slave, and I am a pastor of a diverse church. Hallelujah. And I am a communicator of truth. Whether I'm going to write it, I'm going to communicate truth. Whether I preach it, teach it, I'm going to communicate truth. Or like next week when I wrap it, I'm going to communicate truth. Oh, wait a minute. I let the cat out the bag. <laughs> Next week, we're going to do glory. The song glory. Uh, Pastor John is going to sing John Legend's part. Guess who's going to do Common's part? Have mercy. My worship pastor is stretching me today. But I know who I am. And I know whose I am. Who are you? Do you know? Well, if you don't know what to do, you may say, Pastor, okay, okay. I, I really don't know yet what I'm supposed to do. Okay, stay moving in the active, known will of God. And remember that question we opened up with, Acts 9, 6. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Ask him, what do you want me to do? You gave me certain gifts and passions and abilities and experiences. What do you want me to do with this? And then listen for him to speak. Now, sometimes he'll speak directly to you through his word. He may give you a vision or a dream, or he may speak through some old mother or some old father or one of your brothers or even a child who may look at you and say what you're supposed to be doing. Don't you put God in a box of what he can and cannot do. But some of us may even need to go back. Before we even ask God, what should we do? We may need to go back to Acts chapter 9, verse 5, and ask this question. And Paul asked the question. He says, who are you, Lord? 
Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. So maybe one of the reasons you don't know what to do for Jesus is because you don't know Jesus. And maybe you have to ask, who are you, Lord? Who are you, God? Based on the authority of Scripture, Paul's experience and my personal experience, I will tell you that the Lord, God, has a son. And his son 